this now. <laughs> Whoa, pardon me. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Goosters, and welcome to the second episode in our 12-part podcast series exploring the world of costume characters at Disneyland through the eyes of two best friends who lived it. That's a mouthful, but it's all to say that this is the Two Goofs Podcast. I'm on half of your goofy hosting team, Adam, and over here is Jeff. Hi, hi. First off, we want to thank you all for your kind responses to our first episode, we received a warm welcome from the Disney online community, especially Disney Twitter, and can't wait to hear from more of you who are discovering and enjoying the podcast. We've been staying active on social media since the last episode, posting old photos of ourselves in costume and other pieces of Disneyland history, especially on Twitter, where we actually had a contest recently. So special shout out and congratulations to Ryan at Dalton TV, who won our vintage Disney prize pack giveaway. It's filled with awesome collectibles from so many decades. It was really something special. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter so we can keep talking at you between the monthly episodes, because these are very, very fun conversations. And speaking of which, if you'll recall, last episode, we asked you to share your stories of magical moments with costume characters which you can send to twogoofspodcast at gmail.com. And wouldn't you know it, we got our first piece of goof mail! Yep, this comes from Mike W., who is a major Walt Disney World fan and host of the Fantastic Advent Calendar House podcast. And he shared this with us. Take it away, Jeff. Yeah, Mike says, This is the story of my daughter and Mickey Mouse shortly after he began talking to guests at the Magic Kingdom. She was two at the time, and unlike her big sister, wanted nothing to do with meeting any costume characters. But since we were all together, I held her the whole time and told her that she didn't have to talk to Mickey. It wasn't until we were about to leave when she turned around and shouted, Bye, Mickey Mouse! I immediately brought her back, and she gave him a hug. And Mickey looked her in the eye and said, I'm so proud of you. That was the turning point, and now she loves meeting characters. Oh, thanks so much for sharing that story, Mike. But I have to say, the part of the story that threw me for a loop was that Mickey Mouse talks now? Yeah. Did you know about this, Jeff? <laughs> no. Because this was a major no-no during our days, right? You know, it is a part of the training that we're going to talk about today. But I actually, I went and watched a video on YouTube of this innovation in character interaction, and I just couldn't believe it because it, it seems to be similar in concept to like the turtle talk with crush that was at california venture the interactive lightning mcqueen car I, i'm just i'm blown away at the technology of it all because literally like the mouth moves the eyes move and i i don't know you know the inner workings but it's pretty fantastic so mm. check that out <laughs> we may post a video so other people can see it but i'm sure if you're listening to the show you've been to the park a lot more than we have in recent years because i think that's the other thing too is we worked there for so long but we're not annual pass holders or anything these days after working there so long we can't afford to you know it's the <laughs> But getting into the topic for today, as you'll recall from our first episode, we left off having just passed our two-day auditions for the Disneyland Character Department, being hired on as Goofy Height performers. 
And we're ready to move into our first days as official Disney employees working for the mouse. But as we like to say with all our stories that we'll start sharing, remember that our show, we're not about, you know, the salacious details behind the scenes. This really is just a fond remembrance of this time that we had to be a part of the Disney organization and especially the character department. So if for whatever reason you really want to preserve the magic for yourself, this probably isn't the podcast, even though it's nothing too shocking, but we are going to pull back the curtain a little bit here. Yeah, and it's that same thing, like, especially for me, like, the whole goal of what we did, of our job, was the Disney magic, and it always kind of bothers me when I hear one of my friends knows what I did and tells their little child, hey, this used to be goofy. Like, oh, come on, man. It's kind of like Santa Claus or something like that. You know, like, let the kid believe that actually is Goofy or Mickey or or whatever. Like, that is that is the magic. And, and again, I, I don't think we're trying to ruin that. You know, it's just, like, talking about the reality, especially because I'm assuming you adults that are listening, my guess is we don't have many infant listeners. Uh, <laughs> so you adults that are listening, you know there's a human in there. And on a side note, more of us need to know there are humans in there. I mean, we'll get into it in a later episode, but it is shocking to see the way that sometimes these characters are treated by people like, you realize there's like a five foot girl inside there, sometimes shorter than five feet. Like, don't pick on them and punch them in the face. Like, come on now. We may even get into that this episode. But also to our current cast member friends, Remember, this is a celebration of all that we've done and you continue yeah. to do. So we're in no way trying to uh, diminish or, or make your jobs harder. So the thing you have to keep in mind, though, is once you get hired on working for the Disney Corporation at all, but also working at Disneyland specifically, is that you're not going to immediately jump into costume just because you had a great audition. We had to actually learn the Disney philosophy in our cast member orientation class. And I remember even before getting to the class itself, I remember being taken on a tour. And I remember just the excitement of imagining all the new projects being developed in these offices as we passed by. Although, I don't know how much animation work was actually being done. Jeff, do you know about that building, what it was really used for is it was it a big development area for the movies and cartoons oh no no that's all in burbank and, and elsewhere exactly. like, like that and they call that big building team disney anaheim uh because basically the brief times that i've actually been in the offices there is that it's all disneyland related corporate offices so that's where they have their meetings about where do we put the trash cans or where you know like <laughs> how, what are we how are we doing with union negotiations or you know all the stuff that is the ins and outs of actually running disneyland right and that, that but i didn't know that at the time so i'm walking the halls like looking in the offices like oh is there a sketch on a table and unfortunately this is the period where most of their animated output seemed to be direct to video sequels like cinderella 2 peter pan oh. 2 lady of the tramp 2 little mermaid 2 and then the bombs that were being delivered to theaters like treasure planet hey so i've always had a soft spot the modest hits of the era like atlantis or lilo and stitch i thought they were pretty good but it seemed like everything that was a real big blockbuster for them were just pixar collaborations here in the early 2000s 
which Disney wasn't even, I mean, that was technically a separate company at mm-hmm. that time. Which, by the way, on a side note, which, and I don't know if we want to talk about this at some other point, I just saw uh, an earnings statement was just released by Disney that said their top five subsidiaries or whatever that they own. And surprisingly, number four and five is Marvel and Lucasfilms. Oh. Number three is actually their theme parks. Number two is ESPN, and number one is ABC. And so they actually make more money in their theme parks than they do from all of these billion-dollar Marvel movies or billion-dollar Lucasfilm movies. That is pretty amazing. (laughs) That is sobering, in fact, because I think we all assume it's definitely flipped. (laughs) So that's crazy. Um, Now, Jeff, do you remember, was the orientation, it's called Disney University, right? Yeah. Because I didn't know, because there's also this, like, college student program, and I didn't know if that was uh, also called Disney University, but that's what I always called it. So, Jeff, what do you remember, if anything, about this orientation process? Again, this is recalling 20 years ago, but they told me virtually nothing. The information that they gave me about showing up, it was just like, hey show up on this day. So I'm like, do I wear a tie? Do I dress nice? And so like a couple of us were wearing like polo shirts and like nice pants and stuff. And uh, and then others of them were just wearing shorts and flip flops. And so it was very, <laughs> yeah, the expectations were confusing. I know I my Disney University group was pretty large because you start off, I started off in an auditorium. So there was oh, wow. maybe... 70 or 80 people in our group and I did not know I didn't recognize any of them I feel like maybe one of them was in my audition but the rest of them were all not especially when we got into smaller groups none of them were were characters yeah that's what I found interesting was that it was like a general Disney new hire group so you have people from concessions or custodial or security or attractions like it was just a mixture of park employees And that was really my only exposure to different groups of cast members. Because later on, you're pretty isolated in your character world. There's not a lot of crossover. Right. Which is always my favorite response where it's like, oh, you work at Disney? Hey, my friend's in custodial. Do you know him? It's like, there is literally like 10,000 people that work at Disneyland. So (laughs) the odds that we know some random person in custodial is zero. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, we're hoping for a crossover episode one of these days because there actually is another Disney former cast member podcast that's pretty fun that is run by former custodial cast members. And, you know, they've seen it all. So, uh, yeah, they're they're pretty neat there. But um, so what I remember most of all was there was a video featuring Roy E. Disney talking about what his uncle Walt imagined the experience of Disneyland to be and what he, what the guests should have, you know, as their interaction with employees. And then of course, moving quickly into, I think this is fairly infamous is the discussion over the grooming requirements for employees, you know, regarding the length the dying of your hair, piercings you got to remember this was just past the 90s or for jeff like the very end of the 90s so like nose tongue eyebrow rings and studs was all the rage you know your facial hair i think there was some requirement that said you could have a very neatly trimmed mustache 
Not initially. No, that came later. Oh, that, that was, was later. That okay, was in yeah. like the mid 2000s. And then, you know, also, I mean, they even had requirements like clothing you could wear arriving to work before you changed into your costume. So it was very specific. Like every part of your interaction, your in your routine was was pretty closely monitored. They said, this is what we expect of you, which I'm curious to know how that has changed, if anything, over the years. Like, have they become more lax or is it pretty, you know, straight lace still over there? Yeah, it's interesting, like, talking to management or whatever that seemed like they knew, but that uh, a lot of that was, in theory, due to, one, presenting the Disney image, is that we wanted this, like, clean-cut, all-American, wholesome image. And so you didn't want someone, like... Because, I mean, this goes even so far as, like, if you had a tattoo, you weren't supposed to, like, get a, a visible tattoo... But if you had one, you could get away with it if you covered it with like a bandage. So they would rather have someone with a gaping wound on their neck <laughs> than somebody with a tattoo. So you would. I mean, we had some people that would get giant bandages on the back of their neck to cover a tattoo. Yeah, if you had like piercings. I don't remember if males were allowed to have piercings at all, yeah, uh, but at least so. yeah. females, you could only have one. And then, so some people that, you know, they were worried about it was a new piercing or it was going to close up. They were trying to, you know, either get a, a flesh colored plug or, or something like that. Um, and they did also say that, like, the facial hair thing, the story I was told was that um, there are some cultures that find facial hair offensive. And that that was what they were trying to honor was by not allowing, which again is ironic because Walt famously had a mustache, but we weren't allowed (laughs) to have even that, which was kind of embarrassing. The two things that were so embarrassing about that, for me at least, was one, you could always tell a former cast member because the first first thing every male would do was grow facial hair. Whether they had any business growing facial hair or not, and most of them did not, and also didn't know how to do it. So they would just grow everywhere, and it was like, oh, no, no. And then when we had the mustache thing allowed, every guy tried to grow a mustache, which led to some very embarrassing (laughs) 19-year-old, like, stubbly, rat-looking mustaches. Well, and let's mention the obvious as well. We were characters in heads. Yeah. We were never going to be seen by the guests, but still, you know, we, we had to uphold that. So the one thing I wanted to bring up, too, is, you know, just getting back to that mix of people. I always find, like, the people who go to work for Disneyland are fascinating to me. They come from all sorts of backgrounds. And I remember they, they broke us into groups, like Jeff was alluding to, smaller groups. Basically, when we had to go over company policy to make it more fun. It was like games and you were teams and you had to like, you know, you were just trying to do something to keep the energy up. And I I remember meeting this gal named Steffi and I don't recall what area of the park she was going to work in, but after a little bit of small talk during a break, uh, I was telling her, Oh yeah, I'm going to go to the Skid Row concert. By the way, this is like 2004. I'm going to a Skid Row (laughs) concert. Um, But, and she was like, it was at this venue called the galaxy in orange County. And she's like, Oh, I used to work for a concert promotion company. I know all the guys over there do you want me to get you some free tickets so i was pretty psyched by that offer so i said well you should come along then i mean obviously let's just hang out so we went to the show she even got me backstage to meet the band 
that? Yeah, now, like I said, this is 2004, so Sebastian Bach was long gone. He was not with the group anymore, but it was <laughs> still cool to meet the core members. And by chance, the lead singer of the 90s band Lit, you know, my own worst enemy, he was just hanging out there. So I was talking to him a little bit. I guess he was a fan of Skid Row. But it was a fun night. So again, it's just there's lots of cool people working at Disneyland. You never know, you know, who you're going to interact with and find out their story. And the other thing for me, the idea of getting our free lunch at the employee cafeteria was like exciting. I'm like, oh, I mean, it wasn't gourmet cooking or anything, but just the idea of being part of this big corporation, you know, breaking bread with the people who created the Disney experience day in and day out for decades at that point, you know, and I'm, I'm just learning. So that was just kind of fun. I, I think in our next episode, we'll get a little bit more into the Disney employee dining experience and what lunch breaks were like and things like that. Although at least for me, Adam, I don't know about you, but like, it wasn't so much that I got a free lunch. I got a, I think it was like a, was it five or $7 and 50 cents? It was one of those, but it was like barely enough to get the cheapest item on the menu. Like you couldn't order like whatever. It's not like, Hey, whatever you want, we got it. Like, no, they gave you like a gift certificate right. for, you can buy a sandwich and a drink and that is all. And otherwise, you just have to spend your own money. So they, they just wanted to keep you alive for the day. They're not exactly. trying to <laughs> satisfy you. Yeah. I don't know about you, Adam. It was a full day that we that I did Disney U, and the last part was a tour of the park, and that we did actually leave, which was my favorite part of the orientation where they did take us around both inside and backside because most of them they were showing like break areas for the rest of the employees because characters had their own separate break areas. And so we didn't get to see any of them, but we got to see all of that. And that was where, because I'm a trivia nut. So like the couple of bits of trivia that I got through that tour was one about the tree that is in that uh, you can only see from one particular angle that is blocking the view of the tent from the stage at Fantasyland. Disney spent $150,000 for that one tree to block that one view. Just in case someone happens to be standing here and looking in that direction, we don't want them to see that tent. Which I love that, that that's Disney's attention to detail. And then the other one that I learned then was as we were walking up Main Street, is when you look up at all of the windows of the Main Street strip, all of them are Roy's Diner and like Alan's Haircut Shop or whatever. Every single one of the names on that are the people that helped to build Disneyland. So maybe not physically, but were part of that beginning. That was Walt's dream, is that as you're walking into Disneyland, it's kind of like the opening credits are rolling. And so that's why you see every one of those names which I always thought that was really cool, too. I loved a free lunch. Jeff actually got the magic and the Easter eggs of the park. That's true. That, that was his it's highlight. <laughs> but yeah, so after that full orientation, learning what being just a Walt Disney Company employee was all about, then we got into our character training. And I remember one of the first things that they shared with us was how to physically display the different attitudes of the various characters would be called upon you know to perform as in the coming mm -hmm. weeks so like they wanted to put that out there like remember each costume you are a different person this is not just an individual that is standing there you know like goofy is gonna act differently than woody from toy story the genie from aladdin has a totally different energy level than baloo from the jungle book you know we just weren't putting on a costume and then 
acting like a 20 something California kid, you know? So that, that was one of the prime lessons I was being taught. I recall. What about for you, Jeff? Is there anything that you remember sticking out as you were first being taught? Yeah. I, I mean, I remember cause it was, it was a multi-day training as right. I recall. I feel yeah. like it was at least two, maybe even three days that we did training that, yeah, they did actually have, which we got for every new character it wasn't like a book. It was like a character sheet that said, this is the genie from Aladdin. He likes to blah, 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 blah. And it had like some general information about the character, uh, especially because, you know, once you started getting into the more obscure characters, the odds were that like not all of us had seen all of these movies. And I mean, you're playing Br'er Bear from Song of the South. Like, what's the odds that a 2,000-something millennial has seen Song of the South? So yeah, so we got that, and that was kind of the, for me, I remember that was kind of the start of that character work. Yeah, and also in that training packet, the part that I found the most interesting was there were sample character autographs that we were, you know, yeah. given in order to help us stay on brand with the character. And most specifically, I remember they were saying there's a difference between how each character would write. For example, the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland is probably going to have some cursive handwriting. Maybe the Q is going to be in the shape of a heart, you know, versus Br'er Bear previously mentioned who is an illiterate country bumpkin hastily scratching lines together on a paper that barely resemble letters you know because he didn't go to school you know and and i at least for me i remember starting off the day kind of practicing some of these things with one piece at a time like what does it feel like to walk in these shoes like literally they're awkward shoes and so how do you wear them around and then like i do remember the final element of pre- park exposure was they did an obstacle course sort of a thing where the different trainers all pretended to be different kinds of yes did yeah. you do that i do remember that yeah i had one <laughs> that was like they got a stroller and so one was supposed to be like a screaming child and they came up and they were waving it in my face one person came up and they were insisting that I was the wrong character. And they're like, you're Mickey Mouse, you're Mickey Mouse, you're Mickey Mouse. Sign my book, Mickey Mouse. And so I literally did sign Mickey Mouse. And they thought that was pretty funny and probably inappropriate. Which was funny, of all the things that we did, that kind of like chaos was maybe the most helpful. Because there is definitely a level of chaos to actually being out in the park. But at the time, it was like, oh, what's going on? And I remember some of us kind of like freaked out at the fact that they were like berating us and like coming one after another after another or something like that. Yeah. Now, Jeff, I want to mention this, too, because we've talked about we had our audition group that we hired in with and yeah. then we were being trained with them. But I know you in particular had a very special connection with your hiring group. What can you... Tell us a little bit about that. How did that manifest itself in terms of your camaraderie and, and what you guys did to commemorate that? Yeah, I did like not so much the Disney U. Again, the Disney U was a separate thing. But the rest of the training process, you definitely, I felt like you definitely bonded as a group. I mean, like we talked about before, we might have been a larger group because they only did those two hirings a year. You had some people that you connected really, really well with and some people like, but either way, you were all part of the same group and, and I remember we did definitely have like you start seeing the different personalities kind of emerge you had some quiet ones we had one gal that was kind of more on the emo side who she they had to tell her not to wear less makeup and we had one guy who you could tell was kind of a troublemaker but was also kind of like the life of the party and then you got one guy that was like everybody's buddy and so you really kind of got that 
And so for me, like I really tried to keep those bonds going, especially for those first couple of months. Every time I'd be working with, you know, Phil or Toby or Nick or something like that, I'd be like, hey, like the group's back together again or something like that. Uh, even though we would very rarely all be working together, you know, we'd be doing different stuff like that. So there was a group, I think it was six of us that made it all the way to five years, which is a pretty unique thing. We can talk about turnover at some point. And so we did actually buy a brick commemorating the five of us or six of us making five years, which you can see it. It doesn't make any sense and it doesn't say <laughs> character department five years. But you can see it on the the walk in between uh, uh, Disneyland and California Adventure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just so awesome, like cementing that experience, that milestone, literally, you know, yeah. in in the part as part of the Disneyland experience for anybody. Again, like you said, they don't know what they're stepping on, right? But they're stepping right. on history and your they're memories, stepping on history. in the best way. They're connecting <laughs> with you. <laughs> Yeah, so that's, that's interesting. I, I remember there were a few people from my hiring group that I remember, you know, there's a gal named Bethy who was really cool and, but I wasn't as connected with them because again, I had Jeff there. So I was, you know, I was, I was like, oh yeah, Jeff's here. Cool, man. You know, we get to hang out again. We rarely work together. We'll talk about a few of those experiences down the line. So wait, Bethy was in your hiring group, your first hiring group? Yeah. Uh-huh, Crazy, my first man. hiring group. Yeah. I went out on like two dates with her. <laughs> anyway. Disney dating will be a separate podcast Will it be? Someday. Because apparently I dated two people that you was in your hiring group, so yeah. <laughs> it was a pretty good... A good luck for you, Jeff. Or not. Here's <laughs> your perspective. But anyway, so I, I think it's worth mentioning now, or I think we're at that point. You know, we mentioned Br'er Bear a couple times already, so I, I count that as a perfect segue for my first day in costume, which was, in fact, portraying Br'er Bear. But the location of my first set, which is to say my first time going out and interacting with guests for a half hour, may surprise you. You know, logically, one would expect that they would have planned to have myself and the other performer who was playing Br'er Fox somewhere near Splash Mountain. You know, Critter Country. That's where you belong. But, in fact, we were transported magically to the future, appearing in Tomorrowland. So, first time ever, Br'er 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 Fox coming to you live from Tomorrowland. So you can imagine how confusing this must have been for the guests exiting Star Tours than seeing these scruffy-looking animals hanging out at the Tomorrowland Terrace. Um, it was even more jarring for me because we had spent all this time talking about staying on theme with the characters, how you don't cross over into different areas that you're not supposed to be in. And then you take these misfits from Song of the South into a location that's totally in opposition to their story and setting. <laughs> Now, what I later learned, and Jeff, I think you can probably confirm this, is that Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear as atmosphere characters, you know, characters wandering around interacting, had actually been banned unofficially from Critter Country at the time because the costume performers had been getting a little too into character and causing problems, and that's a very high-traffic <laughs> section of the park. And so they didn't want Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear over there, which is why they took us all the way over that, or they just figured, put them in an area where nobody's expected characters so that they mess up to you know it doesn't look too bad for us right uh, at least for me and I, and I don't know if you're like our entire hire group was together so it was just because oh. normally you see like uh, maybe they split us into two but it was still like there was maybe eight of us that were all clumped together 
So it wasn't like, here's, you're off on your own, or here's two of you, or whatever. Like, it was a big group of people that was all together. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just this random smattering. I think for us, we went to, what did it used to be called? Big Mountain Trail, where there's literally nobody. I'm surprised they put you in such a high <laughs> That's where the area. smokers go, right? The smoking section yeah. is down there. Well, <laughs> I think back in those days, I feel like the Hunchback of Notre Dame stage was still there, ah. uh, even though it was abandoned. No one ever used it except for special <laughs> events. So we were right out in front of that. They used to have a petting zoo back there. So, yeah, we were right over there. But the, for you, it was just the two of you? Yeah, like they, wow. we, we were literally just kind of in there because I think they had kind of, yeah, spread us out into different areas of the park. Great. And I remember it was kind of weird being in a costume for the first time, obviously, but especially this one, which is, you know, ultimately we had a lot more shifts as Goofy. I mean, that was a much more, you know, common character to play. So Br'er Bear is different in that the performer's eyes are looking out through a mesh screen in the neck. So the character's head is actually sitting on top of your head. And also the body has a very like round lower portion with only basically your feet, maybe a little bit of your shins sticking out. And then you're in these bear claw shoes, kind of like Jeff was talking about. There's kind of these awkward, clunky things. So it restricts your movement. So you're just kind of like shuffling around. It was an awkward start in my mind because I had imagined being a cartoon character coming to life, you know, and being all wacky and wild. But you, you really didn't have a full range of motion in Br'er Bear. Jeff, do you remember at all what you were wearing? that day i mean the odds are probably that i was a bear because the bears are the easiest tall ones i mean it is like it's interesting like you said adam that's that's the biggest challenge i would say of being a bear is that the shoes are not so bad is the shoes are basically just shoes with a little cover on them the hands are not so bad either because they're basically just gloves but the problem is the body even the head to be honest with you like yeah you can't move your neck a whole lot and that was even the thing with Bear. i don't think he had a neck I mean, I think it was literally just attached to your shoulders. But, yeah, the hardest part is that body is the fact that, like, yeah, with Br'er Bear, you had to literally shuffle around. The rest of the bears got a little bit more. You could maybe take, like, a half step, but that definitely made it a challenge. So my guess is, gosh, I really don't remember. I mean, the, the one that I remember wasn't necessarily training. It was my beginning when I was the Queen of Hearts, and no one knew how to put the costume together because she wasn't around very often. And I feel like that happened during training as well. I don't oh, know okay. why they would put me in a costume yeah. that no one knew how to fit. So I remember being in Tomorrowland, because that is the one thing, not for your training, but like that they would do later, is that they did um, early entry. I don't know if they still do that for right. the Disneyland Hotel, where you could go into the park two hours early, I think, or something like that, and only Tomorrowland was open, and... For some reason, they felt like, oh, let's let's give them random characters. And so then there was, yeah, there would be a couple of bears running around. The Queen of Hearts showed up at one point. <laughs> and so here I am as the Queen of Hearts. And it was really awkward because the Queen of Hearts has this, I don't know what you call it, the thing that goes behind her neck that's like that big collar. Kind of like yeah. Collar, flourish sort of a thing that goes up, right? So, again, I didn't know that. No one else knew what it was supposed to do. So I'm out there wearing it with the collar down. And I'm like, this is weird, dude. My neck is exposed. Like, everyone <laughs> can see my – so I kept trying to do it with, like, my head leaning backwards. And, and I had, like, a scarf on so you couldn't actually see my skin, but it, it kept coming up. And So then I'm doing this, and, and I'm trying to walk around. No one knows who I am because I'm the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland. And then all of a sudden, Br'er Bear, not Adam Br'er Bear, but a different Br'er Bear, 
grabs me and pulls me into this like closet like this like like where there it was like a walkway or something like that so out of sight of everybody else Bear grabs me shakes me and goes what's wrong with you you look like a joke and then like <laughs> he physically like kind of manhandles me to fix the costume puts the garbage on like, come on man you're an embarrassment to all of us you should go work for Knott's Berry Farm so then throws me back out on the stage and I'm like oh, oh my god that so, is awesome <laughs> was that awesome I was mortified at the time it's not that I was scared of Br'er Bear but I kind of knew I knew the person inside and I'm like oh they think I'm an embarrassment what have I <laughs> done to my life well and speaking of characters that maybe aren't in the park very often on twitter we actually put out a little survey asking folks if they could wear a costume for a day what would be their <laughs> dream character to portray in the park uh, you know we got responses david goofy of course thank you people wanted roger rabbit even bonkers uh, from the disney afternoon cartoon wait I think I know who this person is, because there's one person that she would always want those two characters. Oh, interesting. But overwhelmingly, this really surprised me, is people wanted to take on the role of Donald. And I, they love that rascal. They're like, yeah, I want to throw a tantrum like Donald. I want to be... Everybody's like, but I'm too tall. We all are. <laughs> yeah. I just think, I, I never would have thought that Donald would be everybody's number one choice, but apparently, there he is. So, gotta change this to the two ducks podcast yeah there you go and our friend which would be so awesome if we could have him as a guest who was able to play donald for 30 years yeah he kind of had his own energy but i think the tough thing about donald because you guys are right like if you watch the cartoons donald has so much energy and fire and but the problem is one is that you can't be angry around children so you kind of have to tone that down. It's the same thing playing the beast or playing a bad guy. People will get into lots of trouble playing bad guys because they're like, hey, we're supposed to be bad. And it's like, well, no, no, not right now you're not. Find the good part of Captain Hook. I'm like, oh, great. But the other part is, too, is that his body, he's got more of a duck body, like when you have the costume. So he's got this giant tail that's kind of hanging out, and it kind of you know goes back and forth whenever you, you move. And so it does kind of limit your physicality. So very rarely will you ever see Donald running around or even doing his famous, like, his angry arm yeah. Yeah, arm thing. wheel thing and yeah it up whatever and down that on one is leg. yeah yeah it's really hard to do that when you're wearing the costume plus you got the big old head on and you know you go back to the 60s and you look at the monstrosity that they wore back then <laughs> it's probably made out of like porcelain or something and so yeah that would have been tough so we've been talking a lot about kind of the growing pains, learning about, you know, the costume restrictions and everything else, how to actually wear a costume. But Jeff, what do you think, what was one of your biggest lessons from your first few weeks in costume? Like, what what did you take away early on? Well, because the funny thing, and this is across the board, not, not even really having to do with Disney, but I know like even now, like I, I work with high schoolers and telling them like they're starting their first job for the first time. And the reality is, is that, Every single job I've ever had, Disney included, I was convinced by the end of my first day, I'll never figure this out. There is just way too much. It's never going to happen. I mean, like, even in our training, like, one of the things that you would learn is how to clean the costumes. Is that you didn't have to, like, take them to the cleaner or anything like that. You would just drop them off and they would launder them for you. 
but like the heads, you'd have to disinfect them and the gloves if you got ink on them and like all this. And there's this chemical that you use and then there's this chemical that you use and then you have to spray it. And if they have eyes, you're supposed to do this and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, I was overwhelmed by that. And I was like, I will never figure out the purple goes first, you say? Oh, no, <laughs> that's just never going to happen. But not even sit four years from then, like four months from then, it was, it was, you know, muscle memory. You didn't even think about it. Like it was just so, and that's just what I, I learned about jobs in general is that they're all like that. You, you, you're, you're, they're intimidating at first, but once you figure out the, the flow, it comes much, much easier. Yeah. There is a big learning curve up at the beginning. I know for me specifically, again, being out, interacting with the guests, one of the first things, again, we normally you're going to have a shift as goofy if you're a goofy hype person. So I recall one of the biggest things I had to learn, like with Brer Bear, is keeping the eyeline of the character head to the guest. Because in the goofy costume, you look through the mouth. So if your own eyes are staring at the guest's face, Goofy appears (laughs) to be staring at the sky. sky. He thinks the Goodyear blimp is flying by or something, you know. He's very distracted, Goofy. So I always thought that someone with bad posture and low self-esteem would make a perfect Goofy because they would just naturally Mm -hmm. be used to looking at the ground and shuffling along, you know, like, you know, they might need a little bit more energy, but, but either way. So that was something that you had to really learn. Like you're literally looking at people's feet. Luckily, a lot of the people you're interacting with are kids, which is helpful because, you know, then when they come in and swing at your uh, private area, you uh, can see them coming and dodge them, you know, (laughs) but, uh, but a lot of times, yeah, especially with like autograph books too, a lot of people learned how to sign blind they would put the autograph book up on Goofy's nose like it's in front of his eyes and sign that way. But if you have Goofy holding the book up to his mouth like he's going to eat it, you know, like you got to learn those things. Like how does it look to the guests, not what is most comfortable for you? Although I still think the putting it up on the nose thing, if you ask me, that was an unnecessary. I don't think anyone was impressed by that. Sure. But that was my own. Yeah, it was just like, come on, dude. Like, plus, your autograph is a joke, man. Come on. And I would shake him and say that. You're an embarrassment. So now, one of the things I was not expecting, and that I feel like they did not 100% prepare me for, is how much the guests will grope you. Now, there's a lot of, you know, people take a picture with you, they hug you, they hold you, whatever, you know. And, of course, you have to play it for laughs when these people are maybe getting a little too friendly. You know, you got risky folks, you know, trying to get a rise out of you. But multiple times a day, people would grab my butt or try to get under Goofy's shirt asking, Hey, are you a woman under there? And this is men and women. This was like anybody doing this. And I was like, if I was, what you are doing would be doubly offensive. And I don't care much for it now. So, you know, it's just like people don't recognize that there was a person in there. And they thought, like, I paid my 60 bucks. I can have some fun with you. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a certain performance I'm providing. But I, I'm not here, you know, to, to be a, a living stuffed animal for you. But also, like, women would flirt a lot and grab my arms and be like, ooh, Goofy's got muscles. You know, so I, but basically what I learned from this is people are weird. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're the guest, but at the same time, it's like, you know, have, have a little courtesy there. Yeah, that is one of the hardest things. And, and honestly, that's the other part about this whole episode is that I would say I learned, well, obviously I was there for six years. So I learned a lot more 
outside of the training. Like my biggest things that I learned were not things that I learned in training. In training was basically like, I'm not going to be scared. It's maybe, I almost felt like the training was more about giving me confidence than actually any like, this is how you do it or and do it well. But yeah, for me at least, the psychology of the job was the hardest thing, especially after six years of doing it. The look in people's eyes and the way that they would treat you, like we said at the beginning, like that's the hardest part is the lack of respect that you wouldn't treat anyone else that way. It does also interest me like celebrity culture too, is the fact that like it kind of broke my heart after a while where it's like these kids coming up and like, goofy, 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 give me an autograph, autograph, autograph. Okay, bye. And I'm like, really? Are you that excited to meet Goofy? Or is it something like, do you think his autograph is going to make you a millionaire? Because it's not. I, I don't know. Which has always struck me too. Like, so if I meet, you know, Kevin Costner or like Mark McGuire or one of my people that I look up to, would I be, really be like, Kevin, 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 autograph. Okay, bye. Like, well, you know. Now, granted, the, the busyness of the park does make it tough to be like, so Goofy, like, How's your day going? Like, what's going on? I want to I wanna get to know you. That probably is not going to happen. But I don't know. I wish that it would be able to. It is It is kind of cool, like like the, the story that we got from Mike about the being able to talk to Mickey, because I think that would be a really special moment for a kid. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and like I said, we're not, we're not here to complain. I mean, these were few and far between. You know, I mean, it was it was happening throughout the day, but it wasn't like the majority of the people were inappropriate. You know, like most of the people there were very sweet. And so we we loved it. And that's what I'm saying. Like when you first get into it, everything is exciting. Those first few weeks is just like a new experience around every corner. And you just can't wait. OK, who am I going to play this day? And oh, you know, who's going to come into the park, you know, this time and. Or is it going to be early entry? Which, whenever you saw the EE on the schedule, you're like, oh, <laughs> well, early morning. I should say, it sounds like maybe that was your experience, Adam, because my experience the first few weeks was, ooh, it's summer and we got a rookie. Great. You're working as the beast in Fantasyland every <laughs> single day. And when it's 90, 95, <laughs> the joke's on you, buddy boy. So that was my first few weeks. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And we're going to, you know, I'll, I'll mention this now. I was going to save it for a later episode, but while we're on the topic of the beast, we'll, we'll go out on this story. So again, Jeff, you know, is a, is a veteran, you know, he had the six years in. So I, when I'm starting out, I remember that I got a shift as the beast and I made it about half a day before I literally was whining and complaining to my lead and asked to be switched to a different character. Because the Beast costume, it's like wearing a backpack, like, for camping, you know, like, yeah, it's like, you've got that whole harness, and the giant, you know, the head, the, the shoulders, everything of the Beast is leaning forward over you, and you're trying to, like, balance by pulling back, and just, like, the strain on on every part of your body is, is excruciating. And so Jeff, obviously there, you know, soldiered through for an entire summer and learned to deal with it, I couldn't make through i'm like oh i'm getting headaches oh i'm oh, i can't move my arms you know and so it was so bad that i was just like i have to get out of here so i just you know some of the training was harder than others you know <laughs> and, and that was one that i did not pass the test and i'm yeah. sure if, if brer bear from jeff's story had been there he's like you're a disgrace <laughs> like, this is what you hired him for <laughs> oh. so 
I think that does it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed some of those stories of the training, of stepping into the world of a costume character. But we will be back in March with episode three, as we said, to give you a look at the day in the life of a costume character. So we're literally going to talk to you about, you know, starting from the employee parking lot to picking up your costume, getting out on a set to work a shift, break times, lunchtime, the whole deal, just to make you feel like you really are behind the scenes. And, you know, I know it's been a slow build to this moment, but it's really going to be worth it because this is, yeah, we're going to, we're going to teach you some things that maybe you didn't expect. And really the fun that's had there and the things that might seem mundane, but at the same time are actually kind of fun the way they they position things at disneyland and and things we probably took for granted for a while and i think when we look back we'll be like oh i guess that was kind of cool also with that we want to thank you so much for listening and your anticipation of each episode i mean that's kind of the response we've been getting is oh are you really only going to do 12 episodes well, we know that waiting a month between podcasts can be tough, especially when you're you're aching uh, for more information. So we've actually arranged for several bonus episode interviews with friends of ours who worked in costume or at Disneyland and other capacities that are going to come on and uh, share with you their perspectives. So you can keep an eye out for the announcements. Make sure you're connected with us on social media. Go to the website, twogoofspodcast.com. Remember, all of our social media, and you know online presence it's the number two and then goofs g-o-o-f-s podcast that way you'll be able to find us much easier but yeah we we know that you guys are enjoying this and we don't want to limit your enjoyment so we're going to amplify that and share it with you and uh, these are some really fun people we're going to have on so i think you're going to have a great time with it so until next time oh yeah bye